Hi everyone, Tiffany here with a super quick note that this podcast was recorded as part of a previous bundle season. That means that the dates that you're about to hear for the bundle, well, they're no longer correct. If you're interested in seeing what the dates are for this year's sale, please visit thebellydancebundle.com. There you'll find all the up-to-date information on our upcoming bundle. While the dates may be wrong and the class mentioned here isn't available through us any longer, many of our guests still have their courses available for purchase individually, so please do feel free to click through to their offerings and take a look. You're going to want to check it out after hearing how brilliant they are. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. dancers and welcome to another episode of Yala Rocks. I'm your host Tiffany and today we have with us Shining, who you may have seen from her work around Shamadan, Awalam, and Gawazi dances. There's a theme running through today's interview and I'm really interested to see if you can catch it. I'll speak more to it in the outro, but before we jump into the interview and everything else, please, please, please don't forget that the 21 Days of Belly Dance is on and totally free over on the Instagram channel, at The Belly Dance Bundle. And then, starting October 21st, you'll be able to purchase access to this year's Belly Dance Bundle, which includes some amazing dancers, including Shining. This year, we're spreading out the content a bit more due to request, so while there will be a lot of stuff for you to access as soon as you purchase the bundle, some items, like Shining's course, will actually be dropping over the next several months. So not only will you get things to practice now, you'll also have things to keep coming back to throughout the first half of 2021, which is so great. It's like the gift that just keeps on giving. Today, Shining and I are going to be talking about Nabawea Mustafa. And if you don't know who she is, please, please check the show notes at www.thebellydancebundle.com 34 to see some clips of her dances from the Golden Era films. That'll give you a little bit of context as to what we're talking about today and for Shining's challenge in the 21 Days of Belly Dance. Hello, dancers, and welcome to Yala Rocks, the belly dance podcast that helps you design your personal practice. Today, we're here with Shining. Welcome to the podcast, Shining. I'm so excited to have you as part of the bundle this year. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited to be a part of the bundle finally and uh, get to share my perspective on some unique material. Yes, I I love that. You, The things that you teach, I, I feel like they're they are very unique. They're, they're different than what I tend to see from a lot of different dancers. You're not going into a lot of the same well-trodden areas as you're, you're coming in and you're, here's a Wallum dancing and here's Gowazi dancing and here's, you know, Nabuea Mustafa, which we're about to talk about, like getting into a lot of this nitty gritty stuff that I, I love as a dance nerd to like learn all the history around these things. And so to be able to actually take dance classes focused in the areas is really important to me. I really love it. Yeah. It feels like it's, you know, my, my detriment, but also my skill set because I always want to do like, I can't ever do the same thing as other people. I'm like, make my life so much easier. (laughs) Um, You know, but it's turned out to be 
um, a really good thing. I think people are really enjoying whatever this, you know, like my unique perspective on the topics are. Yes. Um, so it's nice to see that kind of come out and build, build, continue to build the strength in that area. That's awesome. So since this is your first time on the podcast, I would love to kind of hear your background in the dance space. Like how did you find belly dance? How did you get into this? And how did you like, cause you really deep dive into the history and the culture. And I, I would really love to hear how you kind of started in on that path as well. Cause it's so important as part of our studies of this dance. Sure. So mine has been the sort of almost walking backwards route because I started off like the first forms of belly dance or whatever you want to call it is exposed. I was exposed to was tribal and tribal fusion, like sort of not directly ATS, but you know, off branches of that and Rachel Bryce and all of that. Um, and I also started off in the SCA, which is a the Society for Creative Anachronism, which is a medieval uh, recreation group, like how, you know, the idealized version of the Middle Ages, basically, which undoubtedly has had some subconscious influence, because when I would dance at events, I started wondering, you know, like, not only how would dancers be during this time period, but how can I dance effectively in this environment, you know, where we're not on clean stage floors and, you know, we're around fire or under the stars kind of a thing. And somehow that and just this natural curiosity I have for like traditional things like weaving and and textiles and arts and music I, I from the beginning of dance I don't know where it came from but since the beginning I've had real interest in the sort of dying traditions and you know sort of learning them I don't know if my intention was to keep them alive but just you know something in me has always been a story collector I guess mm -hmm. um, is what I'm starting to realize and when I my mom encouraged me to take the uh, Clifton Strengths Finder assessment several years ago. Um, this is, it seems irrelevant, but it it's totally ties in with the point that it helped me realize that some of these qualities like over, what, what people call overthinking mm -hmm. or, um, you know, daydreaming are actually my greatest strengths. Like it said, you know, my, my greatest strength is context. And my next greatest strength is futuristic, which basically means I have to learn from the past in order to envision the future. And so my learning process has been to ask what came before, what came before, what came before. And, you know, it started with golden era when I was transitioning from the fusion side of things. And I really became interested in Arabic music and all the golden era dancers. Um, and then into rock sharky and then into the folkloric dances. Um, you know, I started to have more and more pieces of information about what this feeling I was looking for was. And when I discovered, you know, a wallum, I was like, what is a wallum? And I wasn't getting a clear answer. And when I started hearing about the Gawazi and it just sort of like this, I don't know, it just like, I don't know, it would say it clicked because the first time I was put into doing a, like a Banat Mazen style Gawazi piece, it was so awkward. I will tell you, like, I would never think that I'm where I'm at now based on 
my first interaction with Gawazi because I couldn't do it. My my body physically could not relax enough to like do the side, you know, the shimmy and practice is yeah, like magic. Like, you no, know, I had to have like other pieces of information first. So yeah, long story short, it just like it's just wired into my brain that I I I have to understand the history of something in order to um put it in its current context like that's why you know a lot of times people will ask like where are you from or who are you or what do you do because they're trying to they're trying to place you in context they're trying to mm -hmm. get the information to understand who you are as a person and i i do that with dance i think that's super interesting i love that you said like what things that you had perceived as your greatest weaknesses are actually your greatest strengths and i think that speaks so much to just knowing yourself and like working with yourself to do things um and i i talk a lot about um the four tendencies by gretchen rubin is like one of those things you know that showed me the reason you know a good reason why i am the way i am um and it you know pointed out to me that i'm a questioner and so to me things have to make sense before i will do them which suddenly my uh, inability to function in corporate America makes perfect sense because nobody can explain why you're doing anything in corporate America, <laughs> right? So being able to, to look at these traits that you have and how they fit in to what you're doing and then use them to your advantage is, is such a huge part of just not even being like a successful human, but being successful in your dance practice too. Yeah, I mean, it was... Like people talk about those life-changing moments, like taking that, you know, silly little assessment and it, you know, it just, it put into words thing, you know, it gave validity to things that I didn't know that I needed to have validated. And since then I have been able to work with the, that thought in mind of like, stop focusing so much on the weaknesses and trying to improve what you're weak at and like focus on what you're good at focus on your strengths and how how are they valuable how are they assets and you know how do they work together um you know and it's everyone's going to come to that in their own different ways but i think in the dance world in particular it can be so challenging to find our niche um, and to accept that we might have to have to be niche like I don't want to be niche. Mm -hmm. Everyone thinks I love the historical stuff and that, you know, that's my pride and joy. And it is, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be recognized for it, but I came to this because I was pushed away from doing what everyone else was doing because I was mm -hmm. the only other person in, you know, like when I think about this, it started with one show where they needed someone to do something not belly dance rock sharky like what 50 other people in the show were doing mm -hmm. so i did shamadan and from there it's just like pushed me farther and farther into the niche category mm -hmm. you know that's not necessarily what i started off wanting to do like of course we want to fit in with the the mainstream ideas but where we find our strengths might not be in alignment with what you know, the societal vision is for our ideal placement, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Absolutely. And it doesn't, like, you can love the niche and love the mainstream yeah. at the same time. And, and But you might not be successful in both of them. Exactly. Yeah. You have to find your place and then 
you know, work from that place into whatever, you know, cause you could build from where you are back into the mainstream if you wanted to, or you can build off even farther niche if you want right. to, but with a base, suddenly a lot of more things become possible with that knowledge and the centering almost. Yeah. And you know, the, the one other thing I want to say about niche that I have found personally challenging, but also like maybe liberating is like, I knew, like when I started doing Shamadon, it really occurred to me, like when I was assessing my goals with dance and where I wanted to be and how, how do you get to that visionary place? You know, I realized that the most successful people, you know, who are touring and teaching or whatever, like they have, they have a thing that they're known for, mm -hmm. um, you know, whether it's drum solo or toxim or whatever it is. So in some ways, specializing is what helps move you forward, right? If a lot of other people aren't doing your thing and you have a skill set um, that's valuable to people, that's the main thing, right? If you have something and you can find a way to make people see the value in it, that moves you forward. But there's also a downside in that when you become so niche that only 10 other people in the world know what you're talking about, <laughs> uh, you have to realize it might take some time. So that's how it feels with the Awalam and the Gawazi subcategory. It's like a lot of people have an idea of Gawazi. A lot fewer people are familiar with the term Awalam and a much fewer people see what the value in learning about those things are, you know, um, because maybe they're not contextual people. Maybe they don't really have as much of a need uh, or a drive to understand the roots of something and how that supports the, the current um, iteration of mm -hmm. the subject. Um, so, I'm, my brain's going a little tangential there, but um, yeah. <laughs> and we'll put um, I'm going to put links into the show notes because today we're not going to be talking about Gawazi and Awalam. But if you don't know what these terms are and you you are wondering to learn more about them, I'll put some links in the show notes, everybody, so that you can you know kind of read about that a little bit, get some resources, check it out, see some of Shining's work on the subject. Um, so Shining, today what we are going to talk about is your contribution to the belly dance bundle which is going to be coming out in the early spring which i really love because like this year we really have more spaced out courses so it is more of it's not like here are all of your courses have fun jump in it's it's really you know more of a community going through things and experiencing new things together as the months pass and i i really love that so your addition is um a course on queen of the hips Nabawea Mustafa, um, which I'm very excited about. Can you tell people a little bit about who she is, you know, why you got so interested in the subject in, in case they haven't seen her before? Sure. Nabawea Mustafa is um, one of the most unique dancers whose names we know from the golden era of Egyptian film. So you see her active through like the forties through the sixties seems to be her main time. Um, I, I'd have to go back and check dates for certain if there's something before or after that. But um, she's really interesting because her movement style is so different. And I never, you know, when I first encountered her, I didn't really think about it. But when I started to get some indication that she could be um, an Alme, you know, one of the Awalam, 
and this was the subject I've been studying for the last few years, I really started to pay more attention to her um, and try and get some inspiration for learning that style and seeing, you know, how, how dancers um, before her might have been dancing. And I love, I love the way she dances, but I do not picture myself as the ideal person to represent her. And I think this is important, you know, because, because why? <laughs> How do I ask myself this question? Um, <laughs> let, let me, let me tell you anecdotal here. Let me tell you a little story. Go back in time, probably to one that early show I mentioned, maybe just before Shamadan times. <laughs> and um, there was a dancer in my community um, who did a recreation of Naboe Mustafa's dancing. It was the first time I saw anyone put her on stage. And I was so excited, not only because, you know, she was also, uh, you know, a dancer of color. She had a curvier body. You know, she, for me, had this package and, you know, she had a the ability to clo more closely represent Nabuea than, you know, I will ever have. And, you know, I viewed her as the ideal person to do it. She had the costume down and the movements and everything. It was great. Um, and at that time, I wasn't interested in Nabuea ever, ever, ever. I don't, until I discovered her with the Awalam, I didn't understand, like, how valuable she is as this transitional place. So if you're interested in golden era, you know, she's valuable to give you uh, a broader perspective on what Rock Sharky looked like at the time. Right? She's a Rock Sharky dancer, but, you know, she also is Alme or, you know, um, can be looked at as an, a mid-century reference for the Awalam. Her, you know, acrobatics are super unique to her, you know, like her dramatic backbends and, you know, splits in the floor, backbends, like things I will physically never be able to do, um, you know, are really inspiring and give a lot of great, well-rounded insight to the period. I think, I just, I think that's the biggest thing is people are only looking at Samya Gamal and Tahia Karioka and Naima Akef and they forget that there are so many other dancers and they all have their own unique way of dancing and it's really important to diversify our experience and our exposure. Otherwise, all we're doing is mimicking one or two dancers. Absolutely. And you can see when you watch um, clips of Nabuea that like her style is, she very much has one and it's very apparent very quickly. Whereas sometimes with other dancers, you have to be like, oh, okay, you know, Samia does this, Tahea does this, like in the, these little things that set them apart, you know, whereas with Navoya, you watch her for four seconds and you're like, oh, she's got her own thing going on. And it's great. Yeah. It's excellent. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's got just so much vibrance to it in, you know, a completely different way than the other dancers of the same period have. And, um, you know, I, I think that uh, it's just one of those things I don't know how to put into words well what the value of it is, because people have to come to the value on their own terms. Mm -hmm. It's going to be valuable to me in a different way than it will be for anyone else approaching the material. But I'm excited to break down 
what I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing, you know, we'll look at her signature techniques, um, you know, as far as the ones I'm physically capable of doing. And I don't want to, you know, she does some extreme stuff that I don't encourage people to replicate, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, for your own safety, you know, you have to respect that her body is different and she's trained differently, but we can, you know, um, analyze and use that information and look at costuming and look at musicality and staging and determine how we can use that as inspiration, either for recreations um, or to inform our own dance, either as a modern rock sharky dancer or trying to do like Awalam and Gawazi and, you know, pulling inspiration from her movement um, and the overall aesthetic that she has um, to give us a more unique um, feeling and appearance in our dance, which I think is much, much needed right now. I think it's, I love taking classes like this that are so outside of my personal style, right? Like I, this is not how I dance, but it's almost like, I almost think of it like as cross training like in different, um, you know, like I, I lift weights or I, I run or I bike or whatever, like cross training in that way, but it, within the belly dance space, like I do my style, this is kind of how I do things. And I could pursue a bunch of things that only serve that purpose, or I could branch out, take things that are totally different and outside my comfort zone, because you never know, you know, what you're going to take from something that is going to really work with you and what you're doing. The whether it's the learning, right? It's the context that you take from something that informs your dance, whether it's, you know, the actual movements themselves and like figuring out this new way to move and then how you can implement that and how you can tweak and change and, and really refine your style and what you do um, just based on these things that you never would have thought necessarily to take. I, I like, I love doing that. It's one of my favorite things is just to take something to, that to me seems completely off the wall. Yeah, you know, and I think one of the values that I hope to, to, um, I don't know what the word is, give to people in this class, but in, in really in all of my classes, like a direct thing that's come from my teachers is teaching people how to see, to be yes. discerning. Yes. And, you know, I, I know you had asked before about um, how how do you look at these video clips and figure out what they are doing? How do you, you know, use your x-ray vision as a dancer to, to peel the layers back and get to the base quality or to understand, you know, understand the context of the performance. Why is she performing in this venue? What does it mean when this person does this? You know, there's, there's so much information we can get even from these old, um, film scenes that people never, I think so many people never think to ask the questions. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, or unfortunately, depending on who's the receiving end of this, I have endless curiosity. I have endless <laughs> questions. Um, you can ask Sarah, it's always, it's a, it's a problem. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, this is something that I know is in my skill set, and that I can share with other people. Now, I know people won't take it, a, a lot of people won't take it as far as me in terms of like wanting to, to watch all these videos in detail and break them down, but some people will get value out of that. 
Um, and everybody will learn something through that process. Um, you know, even if it's something they never go back to, they will be able to see more clearly after, you know, learning what to look for. Um, yes. You know, so that when they have something that they really want to learn on their own, they're able to then, you know, uh, analyze it and, and pull apart the little pieces and then put that into their own body. Um, and I think that's necessary. I don't, I, I almost want to say it's necessary for all rock sharky dancers because we are learning, uh, at least as foreigners and, you know, outside of the con, the cultural, uh, you know, places that the, you know, the dances come from, we have to use every resource at our disposal. And a lot of that comes through video clips. Yeah. Um, but even live performances, this is a skill that you can use when watching dancers or going into workshops um, with people who, you know, maybe they don't teach in the Western style. And, you know, you have to be able to peel back the layers and look for the vital information. Um, so I think that the way that I approach my 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 classes and material um always has that in there because that's just how my brain works mm -hmm. i love it and i think what i was going to bring up was that during like especially during this time with the pandemic and everyone learning from home is that this is a skill that is so much even more vital than before because if we're not also going to in-person classes right you're learning almost everything online then you know, being able to, to do what you're saying, to pull the layers back, to find the core of the movement through watching a video, regardless of the, whether or not that teacher teaches in a way that gets it into your brain, right? Because sometimes we hit teachers, like we're trying a class and we're like, oh, I really like what they're doing, but I don't necessarily, like the words they're using to convey it, it's not getting into my body. Right. So being able to take a step back, look at the video itself and having those skills, like having that skill set, I think is so vital. And I love that you brought it back to the in-person too, and how, how we, we can use that even outside of this video space, you know, like when we're going to workshops and we're going to class and stuff. And I think this is something that we're not necessarily taught to do. Like some of us pick it up, especially for in-person stuff. We pick up how to watch somebody and then follow and, and mimic the movement and figure it out. But we're not taught to do it, you know, we all end up down YouTube rabbit holes, right? <laughs> watching, watching dancers and watching videos, but like, what are we actually pulling out of all of that? What are we actually taking home? Because yeah. nobody's, nobody's doing this work where they're teaching people how to pull apart these videos. The YouTube rabbit hole does have a lot of value. Absolutely. You know, it, it's, it's almost, how we are attempting to replace the enculturation of being a child growing up in the culture, right? Like instead of getting that subconscious exposure um, through our lifetime, we're doing like the fast track version, which is embedded in our brain by watching a thousand <laughs> videos, you know, at one time. Um, you're not going to remember everything, but it, it is about exposure where it gets your brain used to certain signals and responses and having seen things. But at a certain point, you do have to be more critical than just exposure. Mm -hmm. If you really, it, I mean, it depends what your goals are all the time, right? It always, you know, depends on what your goals are, but, um, 
I think as professionals and especially as teachers and as we go into these niche subjects, it, it, we have to be critical about it. That's, that's just, you know, how it is. We have to ask questions and we have to figure out which questions to ask. And I have been really fortunate to have very analytical teachers who, you know, are also, you know, they're, they're well-educated in the subjects. They can put it in their body, but they can also verbalize it. And they're compatible with my mental style where it's just sort of like funneled down into like, now I know how to teach people the questions rather than just learning how to see through osmosis. Mm -hmm. Like I'm getting to that place where, you know, I can help people to see that, you know, by telling them what to look for. Now, I don't know if that's handholding, right? You know how the older generations are always like, I'm not going to handhold you because it's not as effective. You know, the older generations had to, they're going to process information differently than we do because they had to learn it through experience. But we're on our generation are not getting that opportunity because the clubs are closed. Yeah. You know, who know? I mean, just if you look at the microcosm of the pandemic, like this is something totally new. And a lot of us are not getting the same sort of kinesthetic experience of oriental dance and folk dances um, that older dancers of this uh, style had. Um, so we sort of have to reverse engineer kinesthesia by analytical and then get it into the body. It's, it's interesting because I almost feel like we've come full circle. So if you listen to the stories of a lot of the older generations of dancers, they'll talk about, oh, well, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have YouTube. We were just getting VHSs from the video store of these golden era films. And then we were watching those videos and breaking them down until we found our way into you know, the club or, you know, a dance class and they, they found their way yeah. into the culture as much as they could in the space. And I feel like, you know, then that went by and then, then it was everybody, you know, there were teachers and classes were plentiful and it was easy to kind of hop in and people didn't have to do that anymore. But now it's almost come full circle again, where now we're sitting here with YouTube, like our version of like the VHS and being like, okay, how do we break this down? And how do we do this ourselves you know a little bit but with support now that maybe didn't exist in the past but it's i love this like cyclical nature of learning in the space yeah and we have to even be more critical now because i you know youtube is great it's amazing but it's overwhelming between Absolutely. social media oh my God. yes all, all the different social media platforms like it's overwhelming and it you know you you you, you have to make decisions at some point about what, what are my goals here, you know, and what do I really want to spend my time on? Because I can tell you right now, I have been clicking save on Facebook for at least six months and I have not had time to watch a single one of those videos. Mm -hmm. And we're in a global pandemic. I haven't had the mental space to sit down and watch those videos, right? So I know for myself, I have to weed out like, is this so important to me? Do I think that this will be valuable towards the, the goals I have in dance and my education? You know, do I want to be entertained right now? You know, and if you, there are those videos that you really want to watch and maybe you have to save them and come back to them at a scheduled time, like Tuesday nights at 5 p.m. for 15 minutes, I review yeah. you know, these videos. Um, and then the rest of the time you can have your like entertainment, just watching whatever comes down the stream. But you really do like, you know, in some ways have to pick and choose now, mm -hmm. whereas before they just, 
they watched whatever they could get because there wasn't as much information. Yeah. And I think that that in some ways um, allowed people to learn more deeply. Whereas, yeah. you know, here we hit a lot of surface things and people want to try a lot of different things, but they, um, you know, maybe don't go as in depth because there's just so much stimulus all the time. That's, I like to take, I almost feel like those are experiment times for me. You know, it's like, let me experiment with a bunch of different things and see what feels good, who feels, you know, what teachers are going to be good for me, what type of learning is good for me, right? Like, that's why I love the bundle, why I've put this together is so that people can, can kind of cut through that overwhelming, oh my God, there's just so many things going on, hop into the bundle. And while there's still a lot of stuff going on, it's more of an experiment. Let me yeah, try out this style. Yeah, let me try this style. Let me try this teacher. And then once you find the things that work for you, go deeper, you know, continue learning in those directions. And that, that's always my, my goal for people is to, is to find something that resonates with them in a yeah. more condensed experience rather than Facebook land where you could take literally any class ever every day. And it's like, oh my God, how do I do all of these things? Yeah. So like, I, I see where you're coming from and I, I you made it very intentional and I like yeah. that, you know, it's, it's, um, it's good to like give people like options, but in like a container, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then you're right. They can pick where they want to go from there. You know, it's, it's a, it's a nice basis. So I want to talk, can you give people who, you know, they're, they're down the YouTube rabbit hole. They want to get more critical. They want to stop and maybe, okay, this video, I love some, there's something about this video that draws me and I want to figure out what it is, or I want to figure out how to replicate this movement or how her musicality is coming across so that I can experiment with it. Right. We're all talking about experiments, experiment with it in my body and with my dance. What tips would you give people to kind of like start that process to stop, stop engaging on this shallow level, right. That you're talking about and go a little bit deeper into the video. What, what's with the next step? Yeah, so I would say there's a few different things. The easiest, quote unquote, easiest, uh, you know, the first place to start could just be trying to dance with it, right? Not even getting into the analytical aspect, but just try and dance with it. Like, I can't tell you, like, how much of a revelation it was after watching these Soherzaki concerts on DVD that I had. I had never thought to, like, try and do what she was doing. I always mm -hmm. just watched and then practiced in my body later or let things come out. But when I actually just tried to follow her dancing, I, I don't know, there was a different physical experience for me than trying to practice it on my own. And I discovered, you know, like I, that moment changed how I do circles you know, like completely. Mm -hmm. I went, I was, I did circles this way and now I do them completely different because of what I realized through trying to emulate her. So mm -hmm. that's a place to start, right? Just, just dance along, follow the bouncing butt as best you can. You'll get subconscious things about musicality. Um, you know, you'll, you'll get different kinesthetic experience trying to, to do what they're doing. If you want to take it further than that, you know, um, you're going to have to play with time, timing, right? So like you're kind of, I really always suggest like slowing it down, repeating sections. Like when I was doing the, the Shamadan for the golden era, uh, sorry, Shamadan in the golden era course a couple months ago, I 
had to go through and analyze videos um, very closely to try and get some of the techniques and to build combos for the class. And I basically would take like, you know, the 10 seconds and like slow it down to 50% speed and watch, you know, what she was doing over and over again and then speed it up and see how different it looked and make notes about, you know, what is she doing this movement and movement and like literally write it down was how I approached it so that I can understand what I'm seeing and, you know, then experiment in my body. So I would sit there, like play it, try and do it with her, stop, replay, you know, at like 50% speed. And then you would go, you know, into full speed. Um, then you could analyze, you know, like uh, if you're if you're more like musically inclined, if you have questions about musicality, um, you know, how are they responding to certain things in the music? Um, what movements are they using? Or if they use the same movement often, like Naboe Mustafa does, um, you know, how is she changing that movement to respond to uh, different things that are happening? You know, and we also have to ask ourselves questions like, what is the context? Like, is this a film clip where we know that the director has final say and could be adding music over? They could be editing the film to say what they want to say, right? So we only have so much information about musicality from the films, but we can use it for inspiration. Um, you know, is it a live performance recording? Is it, you know, a wedding? Is it like, a club, all of these different things tell us something different. And so you then have to start ask, you know, ask yourself questions and it, you don't come to this all at once. This is a gradual process. You know, this is stuff that I know I learned over years and years, like of talking with people and gathering information and looking at videos and understanding what kinds of questions to ask. So it's not something that you're, you're going to, to, you know, I have a list of a hundred questions that you know what to ask right away or know what to be looking for. Mm -hmm. um, but I do have a course um, for like maximizing video, um, learning from videos on an, you know, in independent learning where I try and help people with that, you know, and that's mm -hmm. some, I'm bringing some of that stuff into the Nabawea course. Um, but I have a whole independent, like free or by donation thing on my teachable website for that, where people, I walk people through like, what am I looking for? You know, how do we find the answers for that? And then there are exercises for three very different videos, you know, where I ask you some questions and there's a separate page for answers, but I want you to go and search for the questions yourself, you know, and maybe you find them right away maybe you don't but it's important to start asking the questions because once the question is out there the answer will come it might not be immediately but your brain you know it'll be keeps processed. working on it yeah that's that's awesome i love <clears throat> i love those tips and i love that you have a whole course on on doing this because i really do feel like like with all the work that you've done that you really have honed in on this and like as a skill set and I love that you're sharing it with people. Um so I'll put a link to that in the show notes everyone. So if you're interested in checking out that class from Shining, the link will be there. Shining, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This has been excellent. I'm so excited to hop into this course. Uh it's it's gonna be good. I'm very I'm very excited. 
Well, I'm really excited. Thank you for having me. Um, thank you for dealing with my tangential Gemini brain. Um, but you know, I, I, excellent. It's been excellent. I'm excited for all of those geeky topics. Um, can you tell people where they can find you on the internet? How can they follow you and, and get more of your work other than this course that I'll be linking on teach on, on the show notes page? Sure. I'm on Instagram under Shining Peacekeeper. Um, and I'm on Facebook. So I, I'm on Instagram and Facebook fairly frequently, but um, I have a Facebook page, Shining Belly Dance, but I don't post there as much. Um, I use my profile and I, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll add friends who are apparent dancers, but you know, if you're not a dancer and you're listening to this and you're more interested in following my work, I would recommend Instagram because that's um, a place where, you know, you can follow me, but I, um, you know, it's a, it's just like, it's a more limited thing where I don't yeah. have to be overwhelmed by all of the friend requests. Um, but I also have my teachable school, shining.teachable.com. And shining is spelled with one N-S-H-I-N-I-N-G. If you put two N's in the middle, it becomes shinning. And that just means <laughs> you're rubbing your shin against something. So that's, that's, I'm going to throw that out there. Um, on my Teachable, I have a bunch of different courses. And I decided recently to just make my the courses I've done through this year public. Um, there, A lot of them are... Uh, live classes that get recorded every week. Um, but because of the situation with my knee and it being inconsistent and being able to teach regularly, I decided that, um, you know, it's better for me to do that. And people have that constant access to material. Um, so if you're interested in like Awalam, Gwazi, I have, you know, a 1970s inspired um, emergence piece or mejance as people are calling it now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to have a lot of other stuff up there in the coming year, but, um, it's, uh, that's probably the best place to look for classes other than like contacting me for private lessons or group lessons or things like that. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Shining. I have one last question for you and it's one we're asking everyone. Um, where is the strangest place that you have ever danced? Strangest. Hmm. Give me a second to think about that. Um, well, I would say probably one of the most ironic places was in a Chinese restaurant. So my, one of my troop mates uh, owns a Chinese restaurant. Her family owns it since like the fifties or something in Spokane. Um, and, uh, we convinced, they used to do like the hoplas there. Mm -hmm. And start to have a professional show we're like please we need some belly dancing here so you know it's, it's just a little ironic people go down to the red dragon on a friday night and be like oh there's belly dancing okay <laughs> you know it was awesome but that that's spokane it's like not, not what you there. expected today the closest you could get to the middle east was china although there was a middle eastern restaurant but. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Shining, thank you so much for being part of the podcast and coming on to the bundle this year. I cannot wait for people to jump into this class. Me too. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. One thing I really love about this conversation is that there's this theme of finding yourself and who you are and being truthful to that as you move through your dance. Whether you're a dancer figuring out how you learn, to a teacher breaking into the workshop space, or even a golden era film star. 
You've got to do what works for you in a way that feels authentic to yourself and then continue to learn and build on that in your own way. It comes back to what I've always believed, which is that you are enough just the way you are. You don't have to change who you are to learn how to dance or to practice more or to study this dance or to be a golden era film star. You simply need to find the system and ideas that support you on your journey. And of course, obviously, move outside of your comfort zone, learn new ideas. I don't mean to to lock yourself in an echo chamber. That's not what I'm talking about here. But when it comes to dancing and figuring out how you can actually get yourself onto the dance floor and how you can find your own practice style or niche, you have to know yourself first. And then from there, build the systems, the communities, the practice that's going to lift you up in a way that feels right for you. You can see how Shining has built not only her dance studies, but even her work on this concept. She described herself as a storyteller, right? So if you can see these places where she's been able to grab those stories, that's where her time and attention has been focused and it's worked for her. She knew who she was, she studied that way, she practiced that way. So take a moment to think today about how you learn and what you need out of your dance practice and how how can you better design your practice so that you're incorporating these unique elements in a way that will help push you forward in your dance without changing who you are. 